Hello and welcome to the How to Exit podcast, where we introduce you to a world of small to medium business acquisitions and mergers. We interview business owners, industry leaders, authors, mentors, and other influencers with the sole intent to share with you what it looks like to buy or sell a business. Let's get rolling. Hello and welcome to the How to Exit podcast. Today I'm here with Chris Daigle. Did I say that right? You did, yeah. Awesome. I got that one right. I actually did a little research on yours. I watched a couple of your videos where you announced yourself, so I, I'm going to get one right. I have this running theme of butchering people's names, so I'm glad I got it right. Nice. So you had over 20 years' experience in digital marketing, direct response marketing, affiliate program development and management, and business development. Chris is known for uh, his success in scaling companies quickly, making them grow easy, uh, making growth easy and keeping the owners sane in the process. I'm really interested in that. We're going to talk mm-hmm. about that here in a little bit. And then having taken several companies behind, uh, above and beyond the $100 million mark, Chris is an expert at all areas in growth cycle for small to medium enterprises who are leveraging digital marketing, digital marketplaces, uh, affiliate marketing, and mergers and acquisitions uh, entrepreneurship. Welcome, Chris. Thank you for Thank being you, on sir. the show. Thank you, Ron. So I stumbled on that a little bit. It's late in the day. I'm an early bird, so I get up at 4 a.m. So nice. uh, Well, thank you for inviting me. I appreciate having you on here. So one of the places I always like to start is just really kind of letting our uh, audience know who you are, kind of the, you know, the origin story, kind of how did you get started? How did you end up here? So can we sure. start there? I, I do. Um, I guess I'll start back. I've always known that I was an entrepreneur. Not always. I guess in fifth grade is when my discovery uh, was that I was entrepreneurial when I, I, I was taught leverage and arbitrage by buying candy bars in bulk and selling them at an extreme markup from my locker in the fifth grade. Is is you know uh, sophomoric or juvenile as that sounds? It was a real aha for me where I was like, well, wait a minute, like this is a non traditional way. This isn't what they're teaching me at school. So that really led to. Um, uh, the bumpy road of being an entrepreneur and saying no to the uh, traditional way of doing things. Um, fast forward uh, to today, um, I am CEO of a uh, financial publishing company that is um, on track to do nine figures this year. Uh, and a big part of what we do, um, part of that growth that we're going to experience over the next couple of years is going to come from synergistic acquisitions, partnerships, and things like that, that, um, some might define as M&A, some might define as business development, but some element of the blending of, of hey, that's smart business, that's a smart deal, let's do it. Um, my background as far as uh, M&A and business has really been uh, lear- committing to learn from mentors rather than committing to a traditional educational uh, pursuit. Um, I've had the opportunity to work with some, and at, at my own, like one of those situations where it's like, I'll sleep in the garage if I can learn from you. There's a, a series of those types of relationships in my career that have paid off now because um, I was able to compress their learning curve into you know a six month, 12 month period rather than taking 30, 40 years to learn the same lessons. So um, there's a lot of twists and turns that happen, but, but M&A in a corporate environment is where I am today. Awesome. And uh, just reading your profile and stuff, you work with a lot of companies. A lot of the guys that are in our audience, they're looking at buying these um, the, the smaller end of that small to sure. medium enterprises, the $10 million in revenue and below. 
and it looks like you work with a lot of the companies that are above that realm you, or you've have you have worked with companies and you know taking companies from 33 million to 100 million and those type of you know those type of numbers yeah. you know man um upon reflection um i would probably say that there's more money to be made in the sub 10 million and when i say more money for, for most of us if you're uh, you know, as an icon of Wall Street, that's not a lot of money. But for the average business person or entrepreneur, it's a ton of money. I would say that the the only reason that I'm doing things at a bigger level is um, today's cash flow needs are taken care of from past efforts. And this is an opportunity for me to get into an uncomfortable environment to grow, right? So it's not that there's more money there. It's not that um, there's a little bit of prestige or whatever, but if I was strictly doing this as a vehicle to create resource, financial resources for me to uh, take care of my family, do whatever, I wouldn't be looking at the above 10 million at all. I have a belief that um, zero to one in business is the hard part, right? I've done enough startups, even did one a couple years ago, even knowing better, and it didn't work out. Um, so my preference would be getting those guys that have gone, or men and women have gone from zero to one because I want to take them from one to 10. Right. And <clears throat> it's a lot easier to do that when a business is doing a million, two million than it is when it's doing 20 million. There's a lot more. So I would say that um, don't necessarily aspire for the bigger volume deals, aspire for higher quantity of sub 10 million deals. You'll be happier. The deals are less complicated. You'll like the people more. You'll make more money. That'd be my advice. Awesome. Awesome. So, uh, and I see that we were, uh, I was involved with a, a pretty good size roll up and the bigger the company, the more the lawyers got involved, the more the, you know, the, the word I want to use is bureaucracy, but basically yeah. the more people that had to check off. And at some point during that process, we actually looked at it and said, if there's more than three shareholders, we had a scoring mechanism yeah. and their score shot down way down. Like, you know, that was a, that was a detriment to their to the conversation, just because of the complexity and the speed of which we wanted to move. Yeah, right. So you, uh, the bigger deals have more people in into play, more minds to sway, and uh, so we, we were looking at the smaller ones too. So I could I could totally align with that. So inside of the mergers and acquisitions, you use a phrase I haven't seen anywhere else, and I really like it. Uh, maybe I just missed it. That acquisition entrepreneurship. Um, so I first heard about that. I think that that's a term that was uh, coined by Walker Diebel, who wrote Buy Then Build. A lot of your audience may be familiar with his work. Um, but because I think it's a more, ac a more accurate definition because I just completed a program at Columbia Business School for their mergers and acquisition analysis and everything. And this was all about publicly traded companies. What's happening mm -hmm. at that level is not what's happening with let me go get a, a business that's doing a million bucks. So calling it M&A, yes, it's mergers and it's acquisitions. Um, but I think that that uh, a lay person or somebody that wasn't in the space might get the wrong picture about what you're doing. They might be turned off by it, right? Like, oh, that's going to be, that sounds complicated. That sounds expensive. But I really like that, uh, that Walker was able to coin a phrase that, oh, it's acquisitions, but entrepreneur. So- it's kind of and and so with the audience that I've I think I um, I was working with Roland Frazier on uh, teaching in his program and I think over a couple of years I I worked with almost fifteen hundred entrepreneurs on their either their acquisition or their exit strategy and that that was language that suited that strata of deal size very well. 
I, I really like that. I actually get that because when, when I'm talking to somebody that doesn't understand what I do and they're like, okay, oh, well, where do I start? Oh, I want to learn mergers and acquisitions. And they go say, well, did you take one of the certifications at MIT or certifications right. at Harvard? Because they have these non-degree programs that are certifications and yeah. that. And I was like, no, and I, and I wouldn't recommend you do that either. And they said, well, why? You, you say hire a mentor. And I said, absolutely hire a mentor. But there's a difference between the academia approach, which works great for those $100 billion companies, publicly traded companies and all that. But I, I think it's MIT that was, uh, has over 140 something different valuation models they want to yeah. show you in their program. It's you like, only need one or two, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, I would say you'd only need one, but it's always good to know another way to look at things. So one or two of those um, and, and understanding one or two uh, valuation models well Uh I just don't see the need for 140 something different mathematical models to come up with the same yeah. answer. Is it a good Not business? Not where we're working. <laughs> yeah. Right. So, uh, so you, you, you went to mentor route. I, I'm a big fan of that. I have more college degrees than the average fool should have. And I joke around about that. But, uh, uh, what I learned as I got older is uh, the college program. And it was a very valuable lesson. I, I, I went and got an MBA in marketing and thought I was going to be this rock star marketing guy. I created my own startup and it failed miserably. Yeah. I created an online dating service that was trying to keep people honest in their profiles. Turns out nobody was to be honest in their profiles. <laughs> and uh, spent a lot of money getting that thing up and running. My money, uh, some investor money, but I spent uh, pretty much everything I can get my hands on trying to make it work and yeah. learned a, you know, an extremely valuable lesson that it didn't. After that, I realized when I wanted to learn something, like I did really well. You you mentioned a program in one of your your, uh, articles online or something like stumbling across Carlton Sheets, right? Yeah. I stumbled across that. I was too young to buy it. So I I talked to my dad and let me use his credit card to purchase it. And then I didn't know I was too young to sign sign contracts too. So I was like 16, 17. So I convinced my dad to buy a few rental properties. And back then we could do non-qualifying assumptions. Yes. So we were assuming mortgages. And, uh, you know, I didn't know about flipping at the time. I just read what made sense for me in that program and put it to work. We ended up with probably my dad and I, three, four different properties. And then after you do all your expenses and put everything in a spreadsheet, you realize you're only making a hundred bucks a house. Yeah. So uh, I quickly went back to college and, and went to the military, got a, uh, a degree because I was thinking it's going to take me forever to be comfortable and like, and not have to, my father was a painter and I worked in his, in a paint factory with him at the time we painted houses. And I'm thinking, I don't want to work out in the hot sun for the rest of my life. It's going to take me forever to get out of this. So, you know, hiring mentors, I get it, right? I've done uh, some, some of Roland Fraser's lower level stuff. I've committed yeah. that um, I have a bookshelf over here that's scary. Uh, <laughs> uh, in the real estate space, there's probably at least between the real estate and Dan Kennedy's direct marketing pieces and... I've got $180,000 worth of course material oh, yeah. on that bookshelf easily. Oh yeah. So this time I said, I'm going to buy one that suits me. I'm going to go, go around, like do this small pro. Everybody has an intro thing, like a seven day. Uh, he, yeah. Uh, those challenges, the challenges. So I did some of the challenges. I found one that really resonated with me. Uh, it was Jeremy Harbors. Uh, yes. He had this dollar down creative structure, you know, deal stacking. And uh, so I, I did that program. And then my, 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 commitment to myself is I close a six or seven figure deal and I do the next program. So Roland's on my list. Uh, I'll probably do Carl Allen's too. Carl, I'm I'm interviewing Carl Allen here in a couple of weeks. Great. Um, uh, Great. Seems like a great guy. Um, So I'll go through, I'll go through the, he was being published at Agora when I was there. So yeah, cool. He's a good guy. uh, 
you know, I'll make my rounds through them, but this time when I make my rounds through them, I'm going to make money with each one yeah, <laughs> and, and then go to the next one. Cause uh, I have to admit, I'm one of those guys. I, I do believe I still have some real estate investment programs on my bookshelf or not even all of them are here, but uh, some of them with my old business partner that still have cellophane on them. Right. They sound like a great idea. It's like, I'm going to use that someday. And I bought it two or three grand. Right. <laughs> and then you never take the plastic off of it. Yeah. You go back to work busy. And I've uh, been to it, many of those. And I'll tell you, it's interesting, Ron, um, the people say, well, that's, that's a lot different real estate into M and a, it's not the creative real estate, getting your brain capable of seeing like, Oh, well, if I do that, I can tell you that the creative real estate education that I got from Carlton Sheets and Ron Legrand and that whole crowd back in the day, it educated me on, uh, that, a deal is whatever you want it to look, whatever you can come up with, present it, right? Like as, as creative, as crafty, as, as whatever. So um, I'm, people that are coming from real estate investing, they're the, they're the most fertile soil for getting this acquisition entrepreneurship. I believe that. I think it's yeah. a, lot of, a lot of the creativity and um, being able to structure um, seller financing type of conversations yes. and just that negotiation and being able to comfortably have that conversation. Yep. Um, it, it, there's a lot of alignment between the two. There's, I mean, a lot of similarities between even some of the contracts, right? Yes. Um, so I've seen option contracts in use in this space. I've seen yep. some other, other creative stuff. So yeah, I, uh, if anybody's looking to make the, the move from, you know, step up their game from the real estate space, this would probably be a very logical place to step it into. But I wouldn't go the other way around. If you're in M&A already, I would suggest that the, case study that Ron shared with us earlier is going to be your experience. Now, does it work? I've got friends that I was doing real estate with 20 years ago. They stuck with it. Wow. They've got a portfolio of real estate now. Right. Yeah. However, um, it took them 20 years to get there with this. You learn the skills, you team up with the right people or whatever. You just participate in the deal and it can be a game changer your very first time out. Oh yeah. You can, uh, you know, it, it takes, I'd say on the average uh, real estate transaction, it takes a couple dozen decent real estate deals to change your zip code. Yeah. Meaning to, to move you up into a fancier <laughs> car and a better zip code. Uh, one mergers and acquisitions deal absolutely has that wow. power, right? Yeah. yeah. You can, you can, you can change your zip code with a single deal. Yeah. And, and, you know, and I would venture to say, you know, I, I did a lot of short sales. There's not much difference in the timeline either. Right. Uh, yeah. I did a few hundred short sales over a thing. I owned a, a company for a while called Tulsa Foreclosure Center. We stopped. We did investor back short sales, which it looks like you were in that space too. Yep. And with EasyHUD um, was my yeah. SaaS back then. Yeah. <laughs> so I probably used it for a little while. Actually, it sounds really familiar. Yeah, so, uh, it was a tool being used by a lot of short sellers. It generated the the HUD ones for short sale packages. Yeah. Do you remember um, a Nouveau Riche, the oh, uh, yeah. education company? Yeah, I learned short sales from those guys. So yeah. Uh, I'm trying to remember who were the principals behind that. Do you oh, um, I'll think of it in a second here. Yeah, they're do they're doing they're doing we, something in the MLM space now. Yeah, we were in the same space at the same time then, Ron. And yeah. um, I know a guy. He's not in Tulsa. He's in Edmond, Oklahoma. Corey Boatwright. Yeah, I know him. Sure, uh, I figured you yeah. did. Yeah, the local so guy. Corey's so. a, yeah, crazy. Corey's a great guy. He has some cool cool material, yeah. and uh, yeah. So uh, yeah, I. I friends with him online too. So we, we, yeah, we travel in the same cool. circle. So yeah. it's interesting as I had, uh, for those of your listeners out there, I just had my, my personal assistant go find me some really cool people to be on the show. And then when I, when I started doing the background, once, once people, uh, you know, she gives me a list, I looked at it. It's like, wait a second, you know, Chris and I have some connections here. And, uh, 
two of the people on my current team right now uh, know of you and know uh, oh. work with you. And, you know, the, Eric and Gio both said hi. Oh, right? sure. They're that's like, right. Yes. yes. So, Fantastic. So, uh, they're on my Slack chat earlier, right? Yeah. Five minutes before you joined us. So, so tell them hi. I will. I will. Um, so let's jump right back into the mergers and acquisitions. Yeah. This is a space that there's, it's been around since like business has been around. Businesses have been bought, sold, merged together since the, you know, the beginning of, you know, horse trading or whatever you want to say, you know, camel trading or whatever it was yeah. traded in the, in, in the early days. But I honestly think it's, it's even like real estate, there's always something new, something uh, changing in the environment. What, What's going on right now in the space that you you're intrigued by and that you're watching, or is there yeah. anything? A couple of interesting variables. There's a lot of cash, very cheap. That's certainly contributed to uh, an acceleration, I think, of activity. Um, however, are they good deals? I don't know. There's a lot of cheap money out there. Uh, secondly, uh, SPACs. So the special purpose acquisition companies that they've been under different names for 20 years or whatever, but um, I was able to uh, peripherally participate in a SPAC that happened um, that took a division of a company that I used to work with and valued them at billions of dollars. So that was interesting to see how that was structured because a SPAC is, uh, um, I mean, it's kind of like a black box. People are putting money into a black box and hoping that it makes money. Um the enthusiasm for e-commerce based on the, the, the COVID, you know, forcing more people to shop online. Um, I, one of the things that I saw in that was that people were, M&A folks, acquisition entrepreneurs, were going to brick and mortars and helping them get online. So they weren't necessarily acquiring the company, but they were taking some sort of a profits interest in the performance of the business by taking them into, you know, helping them prepare for the new landscape because, I mean, it's convenient. And I think that the minus any supply chain issues or uh, anything like that, we won't have as many people going into brick and mortars as we used to. So uh, understanding, being able to see like six to 12 months out on what you think could happen doesn't mean you go buy those deals today, but it means you start to build the relationships. You start to get some market intelligence on what that, that marketplace is like, what the unit economics are of certain things so that you can be prepared. If the market does pivot the way that you're expecting it to go, you aren't flat footed. You've already got momentum. You've already been on the phone with a couple of owners or whatever, so that you're able to best uh, capitalize on the momentum from a market condition that may occur. Um, I think, you know, man, I've, being an entrepreneur, not being the college guy, I've always been, you know, kind of, oh, you know, the college, the stuff they teach in the MBA programs or whatever. And it wasn't until I, I matured and recognized the, the contribution and value of that, that level of understanding. So I agree with you. 147 valuation models was too much, but this thing that I did through Columbia, it was, um, it was one of those certifications, right? It was like an eight week course or whatever, but I had never fully been exposed to the corporate perspective on M and a. And even though a lot of the stuff like, uh, like how it manipulates stock prices pre and post announcement, like none of that really matters for us at this level. Um, but understanding how, cause as a creative real estate investor or as an acquisition entrepreneur, we're, we're cowboys a little bit, right? And understanding how they had codified our cowboy behaviors um, was, it was, 
I'm, it doesn't encourage me to go and spend two hundred fifty thousand dollars on an MBA from Columbia. However, uh, I feel that I got you know it was a good contribution. It was a good value for the the time and money that I contributed. It was a couple grand, maybe it was nothing crazy. Um, so if if you are exclusively looking at one way of doing things in the space, um, that's great. And don't fall down the rabbit hole that Ron and I have done, which is go to a seminar and buy all the courses and leave some of them. I've, I'm sure I can embarrassingly <laughs> pull some up, but don't be dogmatic about uh, your source of training. There's a lot like Ron's here talking to people every single week, whatever frequency that this is occurring. He's got, uh, you know, conversations where he participated as a student in Jeremy Harbor's program. He's got um, Carl Allen from, I don't know what Carl's program is called now, but it used to be called CEO dealmaker when he was with Agora. But so don't be dogmatic about where you get your information. Be open to some other stuff. Doesn't mean you have to apply it. Doesn't mean that they're right. But having that, that perspective, because one thing that I do know is that once expanded, the mind can never contract to its original state. So just by introducing yourself to that concept, you now have a little bit of nuance to introduce to a creative structure now that maybe isn't as cowboy or it's cowboy, but in a less, uh, less risky environment or whatever. So those would be a couple of uh, things that I'm looking at in the M&A space right now. I, I like that. I like the, the ability to, to add, I, I call it adding tools to my toolbox, yes. right? Like yes. I, I take these other programs, not because I'm not making money with the one I just took. It's just like when you start getting volume of deals going and yep. somebody has one really cool tool that can add to your arsenal yep. of what you can pull out of that tool sh shed and to structure a deal, Yep. It can make the difference of, you know, you know, in this space, it can make the difference of, you know, six and seven figure, you know, kind of difference in the real estate space. The reason I did it is, you know, doing the volume of deals we were doing, if it added a few hundred dollars for each deal we did, then it paid for itself time and time again. Yep. So uh, usually it was a no brainer. If I could, you know, if I could pull a nugget or two out of a program, I would grab it. Um, it's like now I have a personal assistant. There's times where I send her to a, a webinar or a uh, yeah, online thing just to give me the footnotes, right? Yes. <laughs> I don't want to sit there and listen from it. <clears throat> right. And I don't want to sit some of these things. I don't want to sit there and listen to it for two hours, but I bet there's something in there. Go listen to that for me too, for two hours, write me, you know, write up the outline. And if it's really intriguing, I'll go attend the next one. Yeah. It, you know, yeah. you, most of the time I can just take from the outline, the stuff I need and go, okay, well that, you know, that, that fits what I'm doing or not. Yeah. So, uh, I'm at a, this level where we're operating, it's not that we need mechanics, right? We need like concepts. And I don't mean like for somebody just getting started, but for somebody that's, that has the mechanics down, they've got the team. We don't need to know, oh, they push the red button faster than the blue button. We need to know like, oh, so they do this pre-conversation with the attorney and before the, like those types, of, that nuance is what I'm looking for, like, like you on those things. And it's right. one little tweak game changer and it stays with your toolbox forever it's um in that realm of one of the things i used to get like in you know in the in the real estate space you know you go over somebody's house you can almost walk in and go uh you know this house at this neighborhood probably 120 grand and i'm yeah. in tulsa so if that number seems low to you <laughs> it probably is here in tulsa i can actually buy houses on a regular basis and that sub 200 mark but um you know Inside of the business thing, I've learned really quick that when I get on the phone with the business owner, if they're like, hey, I want $1.5 million for my business, my natural instinct is just to go, cool, let's see how we can get you there. Right? So say what? To Just say, cool, let's see how we can get you there. 
Because I don't have any information at this point. Maybe it's worth more than that. Maybe it's worth less. But my objective when I I talk to business, uh, you know, talk to business owners is where are they trying to get to and how can I help them get there? Yeah. So it's uh, the same conversations we had with real estate. Mr. and Mrs. Jones, why are you thinking about selling? Right. One of the things that I do, that's, I'm going to actually introduce that. That's great. Let's see how we can get you there. My rebuttal is, oh, okay, great. Uh, Can you tell me how you arrived at that number? Right. Just curious. How'd you come up with that number? Right. I do Um, that sometimes. Yeah. Because you never know. And um, a lot of times, especially at this level, if you're the one initiating contact, the business owner's like, hell, I don't know. What's it worth? You tell me what's it worth. Right. I see that a lot too. And that'd be a great thing. I don't know. Let's figure it out together. So, you know, um, you've been in the space for a while. I mean, we all have different ways of sourcing deals and stuff like that. At How does that change through the different levels? Like I've, you've been coaching this space. Yep. You, you've seen it at the um, people wanting to acquire million dollar companies all the way up to, you know, in the, in the realm which you're playing in now. Is the sourcing of leads changing along the way? Uh, we're both, both you and I have a direct mail uh, background. So uh, it probably isn't uncommon for either one of us to just want to write a letter and send it to a thousand people. But- you know, um, <laughs> I would say that <clears throat> in the program I was working with, with Roland, kind of our go-to for getting started was first, let the world know what you're doing, right? It was very uh, formulaic. It was, um, hey, I'm looking to acquire, and I always advise people to have an ideal acquisition profile. What industry, what size, how many employees, geolocation, what are the things that would matter to you? And then go to LinkedIn. Facebook's okay, but go to LinkedIn and post, hey, I'm looking to acquire. And if you're like, well, I'm not that guy. Nobody, you know, my friends don't know me as an acquisition entrepreneur. Say, I'm working with someone who is looking to acquire, right? Um, it kind of takes the pressure off your friends going, wait a minute, you're an M&A expert all of a sudden? <laughs> um, and then you just put your ideal criteria there. Now, does it flood you with leads? No, but here's what you've done. You've started to prime the pump. Those things continue to live. And if if you are, um, <clears throat> you continue to do that with some frequency, not daily, but a couple times a month, once a week, whatever, but while simultaneously going to LinkedIn and leveraging the tools that they have there to find companies that meet your ideal acquisition profile. Now, if you're just getting started, maybe you do the first, dozen outreaches so that you as the business owner can kind of understand, oh, this is what a dialogue looks like with an actual interested party. Now, once you kind of get that down, then I would suggest you leverage a VA or an assistant or something to do at least the initial outreach. But in that, my only uh, advice would be don't be a dumb dumb that sends it like, hey, glad to connect. By the way, I'd like to hump you, right? Like how soon can I buy something? You know, can you buy something from me? Don't be that person. Have a real conversation because one of the things that I learned, and particularly in the business side of things at this level, this is their baby, right? So there is an emotional attachment. There's a narrative that they've got about that. There's a whole thing about this business. And if you come at them and say, uh, let me buy your baby, they're going to say, uh, no. But if you say, you know, this is fascinating. I love this industry. Like get to know, build rapport with the people. And then the rest of the conversation can get very casual. It doesn't need to be, I, I, I compare it to sitting on, sitting on the other side of the table versus, Hey, hold on, let me come over on your side. Let's look at this paperwork together kind of thing. Right. The real estate type doing right. the kitchen, kitchen table clothes. Um, 
But if, if you're able to do that, you will start to get lead flow. And here's what I'd suggest. The worst thing that could happen for somebody new is that they have a ton of lead flow. You don't have systems. You don't know what a deal looks like. Uh, you don't have a ton of time. You don't understand leverage that well. So it's okay if those some of you that, some of you that are listening, you didn't go zero to a million right away as far as, you know, like a million miles an hour. It's okay to start, but you have to start. Right. You have to reach out, be uncomfortable and have the owner like because I know the first time you get on the phone, you're like, I hope they don't think I'm stupid. They do. And be OK with that. Right. Because the next time you won't be as stupid. The fifth time you're not going to sound stupid at all. But get the rocks, get the marbles out of your mouth on those conversations. I did years of cold calling with the yeah. uh, the real estate side of it. I just, you know, calling people just saying, hey, you know, I'm here to help. Uh, on the, but even me who's done that and, you know, have experience in it, when I started doing the first few calls for yeah. mergers and acquisitions, they were uncomfortable. Now the roll up I was involved with, uh, I've, I've got around here, I've got a stack of paperwork like this. We talked to over 200 companies in a matter of 180 days, right? Wow. So I was spending 30 to 40 hours a week on zoom calls with, nice. you know, uh, marketing agency owners. Um, that said, uh, got real comfortable real fast and learned yeah. what worked and what don't. And, and the thing that I learned that worked the most, for me anyway, was getting them started off talking about themselves. Yeah. You know, you know, and it's always like, you know, my favorite thing is the origin story. Like, you know, how did you get into the business? How did you start it? Tell me a little bit about, you know, the path that took to get you here. Yeah. And then the second question is, is you're aware I'm a mergers and acquisitions guy. On this beautiful day in the middle of January, what has you on the phone spending some of your valuable lifetime with me? You know, how can I be of service? And uh, so I'm really trying to get at what are they trying to accomplish, you know, accomplish in the, yeah. in the conversation. Sometimes they don't even know, a lot of times these business owners you're going to talk to, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, they don't even know if they're for sale yet. They're intrigued because you're interested. Yeah. So uh, the best thing you can do is ask more questions. I don't know where I put it. I usually have this giant... Uh, metal question mark I put over here by my uh, by my uh, phone when I'm talking to these business owners, and all it is is to remind me to ask more questions than I am speaking, right? Yep. And uh, you know, and sometimes it's just like, hey, what are the big your three biggest concerns? If you decide not to sell this and you're going to run it for the next five years, what are you most concerned about? And um, and learning how to help around those areas. One of the things. You have on your site and a couple different places on your Facebook profile, and I'm absolutely intrigued by, and it says, fix your head and keep you sane. So, so what is that about? Yeah. So <clears throat> what I notice with most companies, whether I'm interested in advising, acquiring, participating, whatever, opportunity exists. However, opportunity without a plan is a huge mess. It's chaos. It's what, what makes companies at all levels fail. So I looked for a solution to that. And, and the solution that I started with was a, something called EOS, Entrepreneurial Operating System. Huge fan. Um, and once I recognized, and just for those of you who aren't familiar with it, you can Google EOS Worldwide. It stands for Entrepreneurial Operating System. It's, um, it's a framework for organizing a business so that you're able to project influence without a ton of participation. It's measured, it's clear, everybody in the organization knows where we're going. And as an entrepreneur, somebody that's wired to be a driver and a cowboy, that was a challenge because I was like, I'll figure it out, right? But as you grow, there's that whole saying, faster alone, farther together. 
right? But once you start building the team around you, A players, you're going to find they don't like chaos and they have options. So if you can't get your act together with your business and uh, be in an environment where A players can thrive, you're not going to grow. So one of the things that I did was that, but I've since incorporated elements of uh, Vernon Harnish's scaling up from EO. Um, Ryan Dice has a program called Scalable OS, which is fantastic. Google turned me on to OKRs, Outcomes and Key Results. So there's a number of, of things that we use that we've actually created a, a methodology that we call the new way. Because if it's not the new way, what is it? That's the old way. <laughs> right. Right. So... Um, <clears throat> I found that the main problems that the business owners had when I was coming to talk to them about why they were interested in selling, working too much, can't scale it, don't have enough time with the kids, um, I'm burnt out, all that kind of thing. They weren't burnt out when they started. They're burnt out because they're wearing a lot of hats that their personality type shouldn't be wearing, right? So if you can, if I can come in and say, hey, owner, let's carve this piece out for you. Jane will take that because she's kind of wired that way. And we get the right people in the right seats. Things start to happen within the business to where morale goes up, performance goes up, um, sales go up, profits go up, cash in the bank goes up, all of those things. So I realized that if I were to approach an owner, they want to scale quickly. Who doesn't, right? They want to make the growth easy. Who wants to do it the hard way? And they want to stay sane in the process. And, and so that's kind of my buzz line is I help companies scale quickly. I keep make the growth easy and I keep the owner sane in the process. And I have that last part because most owners think scale means I'm going to have to sacrifice home, right? I'm going to have to stop going to the gym. I'm going to have to give things up while we're going through the scaling process. And what I do is I show them that there's a way for you to have the, the rapid growth. And when I say rapid, we're not doubling a business in a week. This isn't some BS. This is real, real business, right? But if you're measuring things over a longer cycle, quarterly or annually, you'll see, wow, the growth got easy. And they don't have to. And I think that, that most of us would be very encouraged to know that we can get what I want without it having to be real messy or me having to say, honey, I'm working late again or whatever. So that seems to be an appealing trifecta of um, characteristics that business owners like when I present it to them. It's interesting is... In that process of talking to all those marketing companies and you know two hundred plus business yeah. owners, all doing about you know above a million dollars in revenue, um, that was kind of our minimal like to talk to them, and um, it, more often than not, uh, the people that we turned away and said, "Yeah, we're not interested. We're not going to move forward with them," it was mostly because they were in their own way. Yeah. And uh, on our particular team, now I'm trained in a bunch of stuff, but uh, like NLP and all that stuff, but I don't. I don't really thrive in that environment. So I yeah. don't, I, I try not to coach others. <laughs> I use it for me <laughs> to catch me in the middle yeah. of you know my own little morass in my head. But, um, you know, we actually, a lot of the, I'd say we have about 75% at the time uh, of the people we did the first call with didn't move on to the second call because they weren't a fit for the culture or, you know, the owner. Um, and I'm going to be kind of direct here. In the marketing uh, agency space, there's a lot of egos, yes. and and a lot of those guys, their ego is in their own damn way. They were they yeah. were their they were their own biggest problem, and uh, it's funny is like when you see that, fix your head and keep you sane, man. You know the kind of money we could uh, we could make in this world if we could uh, you know snap some of these uh, business owners out of their own head and have them look at the business as a business instead of an emotional tangle of I've worked sixty hours a week for forty years creating yeah. this. 
You know, it's interesting that you bring up the emotional side of things. I did business mastery with Tony Robbins last week. It was for those of you who haven't done it, it was virtual. I was a little disappointed that I had to use my ticket in a virtual environment. Tony crushed it. It was fantastic. I learned a ton. In particular, I learned a lot from a guy named Keith Cunningham. And uh, Keith, for those of you who don't know, and I didn't know this either, but Keith is Rich Dad. He was the inspiration for Robert Kiyosaki's Rich Dad in the Rich Dad Poor Dad series. And um, he, from Austin, Texas, straight shooter, you know, he said, business is an intellectual game. The more emotion involved, the less intellect. The more intellect, the less emotion. They can't sit in the same places. So if you're aware of that filter and you're asking yourself, where am I operating from on this? Do I love this deal or do the numbers make sense, right? So that right there was a real takeaway for me because I'm a spirited entrepreneur. I'm sure I've emotion has played some part in even my recent transactions. But um, if you can, because the, the worst thing you can do I've got an attorney friend in the M&A space and he said, sometimes the best deals are the ones you do not do, right? And if you can't operate from an environment of less emotion, more intellect and evaluating the bit, not, not running the company or the culture or how you treat people, but in evaluating the deal, then I would submit that you will find yourself in a situation where you'll regret doing that deal, possibly, probably, um, as compared to a deal where it was strictly a, there was a, you know, you vibed with the owner, but when we went to the spreadsheet, the spreadsheet made a lot of sense. That's the deal you want to do. Not the one that says, well, if we did this and if the owner, you know, if his big dream comes through, then this, we don't, we don't pay for businesses on what they could do. We, we buy them at a price of what they've done. Right. But we buy them of course, cause we see synergies, but we're not paying these business owners because they've got a dream. And if, if I had a team of 10, I could do like, and when you get emotional, you can get caught up in the story because remember, it's their origin story. It's their baby. So hell yeah, they've got a compelling you know, conversation about why it's the best in the world, why it ain't the ugly baby. I get that. You know, in the real estate space, people would come to me. I mentored in that space for a little while and people come to me and say, you got to see this house I found. This house is so beautiful. I want to live in it. And I was like, I have never been attracted to a house, right? Houses are brick, stick, mud, tape you know, some nails, you know, plumbing pieces, but I, and, and I don't find any of that attractive, but the numbers on the other side, yeah. those intrigue me. And I, yeah. I see the same thing in business people. Uh, I, you know, I, I've got people right now that I work with um, as friends, cause you know, I'm not at a stage where I'm mentoring people in this space, mm -hmm. but we meet up together. We help each other do the peer to peer mastermind type of thing. Yeah. And they're like, you got to see this business. It's so cool. It's it. And it's around crypto. And I was like, what do the numbers look like? Right. <laughs> yeah. You know, none of that attracts me. I'm not attracted to cool widgets, cool gadgets, the, you know, the, the best software in the whole wide world. I'm interested in like, how is it working? You know, what's the average life cycle of their customer, right? Or the, you know, life cycle of the, uh, uh, uh customer retention. That's one of the biggest things. Like what's your longest customer yes. you've ever had. Yes. Right. And, uh, you know, how that, that tells me how they're treating them. Yeah. Um, but the same thing goes in the real estate space or anything else. You, you, you can fall in love with something and try to make it work. And that's a dangerous play. 
I have one of my friends right now. She's trying to sell a house she bought. I told her over and over not to buy it. It's an old Victorian money pit. Yep. <laughs> and, and they dumped a bunch of money of their but retirement dude, it fund into it. It was beautiful and it was it's cool. Not, I, and it was... I grew up in one like it. I've always yeah. wanted to own one. And, you know, the next thing yeah. they know, they put 50000 into rehabbing this and it's still worth 50000 Yeah. Right. So uh, they're now they're trying to sell it for eighty, and it's been on the market and, you know. Penny, if you're hearing this, I still love you to pieces. You're a wonderful person and wonderful but friend. Listen to Ron. <laughs> that was a bad idea. So you do the same thing inside of these businesses if you don't watch it. If you've only got one deal in front of you, that one could look really appetizing. Yes. So uh, that's a I good say, point there, Ron. Yep. When you don't have a lot of deal flow, everything you get looks good. When you have a lot of deal flow, you get very you get very picky, right? So what Ron just said is a big takeaway. Like if you don't have a lot of deals, you're going to love it. You're going to love what's put in front of you. Please don't make that mistake. Please don't make that mistake. Yeah, that would be a, and it's, but it's normal. Everybody when they're getting started has a propensity to, I got my first deal. Right. I think Roland Frazier, you were uh, the one you coached for, for a while. He's a, for those of you who don't know, he's one of the mentors out in the market space, a really good one, good place to start. Just like Jeremy is. One of the things he brought up, he said, your first deal is probably right here in your phone, right? Yeah, yes. And uh, so I took that to heart going through his program. And I, you know, I have a, I was like, who do I know out there who talks to the people I want to talk to on a regular basis? So it could be your CPAs and stuff. For me, uh, it happened to be a local guy who owns the home and garden show. Yep. Right. Because I'm, I have a pest control company is one of the ones I've got and a few other things. So the home services business has appealed to me. Uh, I have yeah. a background in real estate. I know all the investors in town, so I, 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 it's easy for me to market to them. A lot of those guys are my friends. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I can I can probably pull up five names, and you know, between those five names, between property management company owners and real estate investors, they got five thousand doors, you know, or so access. Yeah. So uh, I started calling Frank on a regular basis, and he owns a home and garden show here, and he's like, hey, who do you know that's about ready to retire or wanting to do something else? Right. And it's a regular conversation. And I've yeah. got to, you know, we haven't bought one of them yet, but I've evaluated two, maybe three. One of them we cut off early because it was a real mess. But, uh, you know, uh, and, and I always say those deals, even the other ones aren't dead yet. Everything changes with time and circumstances. They just yeah. weren't re quite ready. Right. Yeah. So, uh, right. so, so I, I believe uh, that sourcing deals and having a long list of deals to evaluate, um, you know, is it's the same inside of the real estate space, there was always a joke where you want to look at a hundred houses, you know, make offer on 10, three, you know, three of them will get accepted. You cherry pick the one. I don't think it's that much different inside of the space. Mm -hmm. You know, you should be talking to a hundred business owners, you know, or maybe not that many, but you got to talk to quite a few. You run the numbers on, on many of them out of a hundred, probably six or seven of them will have really good numbers. that make sense to you. And then you cherry pick the one that most aligns and, uh, yeah, and go from that. But if you're not yeah. out there um, talking to business owners, then you're, you're going to, you're going to take the first thing that comes in front of you. And he, for, for those of you who are like, well, I don't have deal flow or whatever, you're going to get there. However, one thing that you can do is you can leverage the momentum of somebody else. Hey, I know that you're in the M and a space from what I'm seeing in, in the Facebook group or on the calls that we've done or whatever, you're, you're killing it. Do you need any help? Can I help you? You don't even have to pay me. Right? Like, um, how can I like integrate? How can I learn your process, your system? Where are you getting deals? That type of thing. There was a student in the program with Epic named Lewis, sharp guy, was running a marketing agency, um, was very eager to help the people that had been identified as kind of like the experts within the community. Uh, 
got to participate in the deal. And I think they ended up buying the company for $178 million, something crazy like that. And Lewis, for his participation, had a very small piece, but it changed his life, right? And it wasn't his deal. He wasn't the expert. He he went into an environment of service like you do with your business owners and with your homeowners and stuff. He went into a, a, a mindset of service and that will pay out. So if you can't get your own, find somebody like in this community that, that could use the extra set of hands. Cause boy, we got a lot of leads, right? Absolutely. <clears throat> and that, that service mindset goes with everything, right? I have a friend who, uh, you know, I grew up with, uh, he does manual labor now and, uh, he, you know, he, he does a form of manual labor that, um, uh, when it's raining outside, he really can't work much. So they give him the day off. So he stops by the office one day and he's to see me. And uh, he comes in and the phone rings. I answer the phone. Ronald Skeltonhow may be of service. The next guy calls. Ronald Skeltonhow might be of service. And uh, after I got off the phone calls with those guys, he said, you know what? You own a bunch of real estate. You're doing, you're buying businesses now. You do all this stuff. You coach people. You own a part of the building. All the different things. Like you shouldn't be of service of anybody. Those guys should be of service to you. I said, as long as you keep, and my, my only response to it was, as long as you keep that mindset, you're always going to be out in the hot sun working and you're not going to own a business, right? Being a business, being in this, you know, you're in service of others. That's, and I really believe that. Uh, I'm a big fan of, you know, uh, uh, the go-giver, the book and, yeah. and, and that mentality of like, you know, provide service first. Yeah. Right. So, um, and I, I think it gets me further down a lot of lines with these, with the, with the business owners. Right. Um, I'm talking to one right now. It's a furniture company um, going through. He's going through some uh, family issue type of things. He's thinking about selling. And, you know, the first call was like, how can I be of service to you? Mm-hmm. Where do you, where are you wanting to get, you know, where are you wanting to get? And he's trying to decide whether he needs to be there in you know a few months, like sell it outright to a guy like me or somebody I know, or he's willing to you know hang in there, clean up some of the mess that's happened in the last five or six months, grow it, you know, EOS. Yeah, grow into something that's, you know, um, uh, yeah, uh, that's really would make a difference when he sells it, right? Yeah. So, and uh, I'm a big fan of uh, Dan Sullivan's Who Not How. Yeah. I've got that traction book over here and probably one or two other books by the same guys, right? Yeah, Gino Wickman. Yeah. yeah, and uh, from EOS. <clears throat> and I haven't studied EOS, and I probably should. So I think my next, I, I love building teams. And uh, I'll, I'll say that to everybody. Nice. If you're thinking about, uh, doing this. I don't do this on my own. I'm a big fan of who, not how Dan's book. I, I like it in the realm that he thinks that one of the, uh, the nuggets inside of that book is that procrastination isn't something to look down upon. It's actually gold. Like when you procrastinate something about doing something, chances are you're not the right person who should be doing it in the first place. Right. And it's a big thing. Anytime you're trying to figure out how to do something, you should probably figure out who's already great at that. Yeah. And bring them into your team. Yeah. So uh, if you're out there and you're listening and you're just an EOS expert and you're wanting to get into MOA, uh, mergers and acquisitions, buying and selling companies, I'd love to talk to you because I don't have that skill and I know it's needed. Love it. So that would be love fun. It. Leverage. Yeah. So we're about, we're about 45 minutes into our conversation. And uh, <clears throat> one of the things I want to make sure is people know how to reach out to you and get a hold sure. of you. So uh, I, I have your LinkedIn profile. Is it okay if I show that? Absolutely. All right. So for those of you watching, make sure I got your name and your LinkedIn profile. Correct All good. Yes, okay. Dr. Daigle. <laughs> so I love it. So uh, is there a story behind the Dr. Daigle? You know, um, 
it it is, and it fits in with the theme of what we've been talking about with service and stuff like that. When I first got involved in the the marketing world, um, I I was of service to a lot of people, just like, hey, oh, you know, I saw this thing. I know you guys are in this space. I don't know, just random outreach and stuff like that. And um, because it was genuine, because there wasn't an attachment to an outcome from it, I was just wanting to build my peer group and my network. People would be like, hey, as a matter of fact. Chris, do you know somebody that, yeah, I sure do. Right. And I kept, I was able to make these introductions that were very powerful for people. And it got to be this joke where like, oh, you're, you know, you're in pain, call the doc. Your business isn't, your business is hurting, call Dr. Daigle. So it was, it was a, it was a spinoff from being of service, being somebody that could help people solve problems without necessarily needing to be like, Hey, pay me first kind of thing. Right. And yeah. I did a lot of work for free. I did a lot of introductions for free at the beginning of my career. And now I don't have to, right? Like people, they, they know the impact of the introduction. So they come with their checkbook out. Hey doc, we need to get in touch with so-and-so. Can you help us? Boom. Yeah. Hold on a second. Hey, can you talk on Thursday? Great. Done. And sometimes now guys, sometimes that introduction opens up the door for me to say to either party, if there's going to be talk of acquisition or partnerships or anything like that, you might want me to use me as a sounding board right? And that sounding board ends up being, they start telling you stuff about the deal or whatever, and you give them a little bit of advice and they recognize we need more of this. Like we need him involved in the deal. And it opens a door for you to be a participant for fee, a participant for equity, for performance, whatever. There's so many ways to do these deals. It's not always about, I now own the business. It's about leveraging the assets of that business. Uh, Sometimes that looks like you being on the on the the you know the the door of the business. Sometimes it looks like nobody knowing who the heck you are, but you structured, you rejiggered a couple things, and now all of a sudden they're doing thirty percent more in revenue, and they're cutting that ten percent off to you every month or whatever. So there's, is it M and A? No. Is it another way to monetize your M and A efforts? Yeah. I think that um, any place where I'm trading my efforts for equity in a company, to some extent, in my world, like in my at least the logic I've got wired in my head, it is M and A. It's the acquisition side. I'm I'm acquiring a piece of the company Boom. for a yep. valuable asset. You know, the asset is my time and energy, right? Good um, way to look at it. Yep. It's in you know, and it's there's that's the difference I see right now with all the stuff I did in the real estate space and what I'm doing now in this space is in the real estate space. I constantly, as a matter of fact, one of my buddies is a uh, uh, he's wrapping up law school right now. And he said, you should start sending invoices for everybody that calls you. Even if you're like zero it out and say friends and family discount, just so they know what they would have paid somebody else for that advice. Cause for the longest time, you know, I would answer the phone four or five times, you know, a week, spend an hour on the phone helping somebody. And you know, as well as I did, if you did a lot of short sales, I can untangle deed issues and, and, yeah. and, and complex real estate problems. Most people couldn't. Right. So they would call me to help them untangle it. And there's no piece of the action there unless I like pre-negotiate, Hey, I'll do this. But when you, when you close, send me a few hundred bucks to where on this business and merger side, you know, acquisitions and merger side of things, um, there's equity in these companies. And it's really easy to say, Hey, if I help you solve these problems, I'd like to start off at a five or a 10 or even, you know, depending on the time they require you percent ownership. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And then ever, you know, if you want me to help, uh, you know, merge companies in with you and grow through acquisition, I would like, you know, 
33%, you know, or even whatever the number is, yeah. you pick a number that makes sense to them and you of the revenue that's you know increased. Yeah. Like, so I bring on a million dollar company, you know, um, I, I want a certain percentage of that over a certain period of time yeah. or my, you know, my 10% stake now becomes 15 or 20. And then you, you eventually do, you work your way into owning a, a significant portion of the company. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Those, all those options are on the table where I think in the real estate space, unless you're doing kind of multifamily and doing a, um, what is it called now? Try to draw the blank when you pull a lot of money together. Um, Syndicate. Syndications. Yeah. If you're doing syndication, stuff like that, you could probably negotiate a bigger piece for your active, um, you know, logic and, and problem solving ability. But in the normal day-to-day operation of residential, it's yeah. just, this, this opens all kinds of creative uh, avenues uh, doing business and mergers and acquisitions. Yeah. Cool. So, one of the things I do want to make sure of, uh, you, you actually, I have your LinkedIn profile. Um, I actually have, uh, the other thing I have up for people is to how to find you on your website. Can I show that? You sure can. Um, ladies and gentlemen, I'm embarrassed that the website looks the way it does today. It was a, a, an attempt for me to save a few bucks. Well, that went out the window. I've now hired a, a company that specialized. They did Roland's site. They, they specialize in personal branding websites. So, um, the site that you see today uh, looks nothing like the site you'll see, I think, in early March. It'll be a, a more uh, accurate reflection of my uh, my business prowess, I guess. I'd say it didn't look bad. It just, you know, looks like a, a, a consultant's website, right? They have a picture yeah. of you. It tells you what yeah. you do. There's some backstory and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, I've seen worse. <laughs> I think I have too, yeah. I've Thank seen many. You. I probably have worse. I probably have a few websites <laughs> that are still out there. I was like, man, I, I probably should just take that thing down. But uh, <clears throat> so, all right. Well, is there um, like we've talked about a bunch of different topics. We covered everything from kind of like making sure you have sources, uh, uh, deal flow, to the difference between this and a real estate space. But out of all the things we talked about, did we miss something, or is there something we really should have kind of covered inside of this space? You know, I, I, I want to stress the importance. If I would have known the contribution that like an EOS implementation would have to a business, I would have learned it 20 years ago and my career would have gone a completely different direction. It's a universal issue with businesses that your buddy owns or businesses that you're interested in buying is if it's entrepreneurial, if it's visionary led, they probably haven't done a whole lot of planning, right? And big boys and girls they make plans and they stick to those plans and they get the goodie at the end of that, right? Cowboy and cowgirl entrepreneurs that just show up and pivot all the time. And I got a great idea and I'm chasing a rabbit. They stay where they are and it's painful. So if you can come in there and get them out of their own way, as Ron was saying earlier, um, that contribution, they don't care where you went to school. They don't care how many businesses you bought and sold. They don't care how what kind of car you drove up in. If you can deliver that, that's a very compelling story for business owners that, uh, which business owner wouldn't like to scale easily and not have to give up soccer games or, you know, date night kind of thing, right? And you can do that if you become somebody who learns how to, how to help businesses get out of their own way. That would be one thing. And then the second thing, honestly, Occam's protocol, the simplest solution is usually the best solution. Most of us, especially if we don't, there's that, there's that whole um, that thing about the, the, the master and uh, I'd rather, um, uh, it's, it's something about 
karate or, or martial arts, but how the master doesn't do more. The master does less. And that's what got them to mastery was not doing 147 different valuations on every deal they did, but getting to the one or two models that fit their industry, their vertical, their goals, the best. Like, so it doesn't have to be terribly complicated. And another thing, well, Chris, I don't know it all. You don't have to, but you're hooked up with a group with through this and through other things that you're doing where somebody else like Ron said, Hey, if you're listening and you know, EOS, let's talk. If you get the deal and you need a guy, a finance guy, or you need a, a, a an attorney and she's a thousand bucks an hour, you bring them in on the deal, right? There's things that you can do that any impediment that you have, well, I, I don't, I'm not going to pay an attorney. Don't bring them in on the deal. Let them have a piece of the action. Maybe they say no, maybe they say yes, right? So think about um, Occam's Protocol, EOS, and leveraging other people's skill sets. And I think those three things would kind of be philosophically big levers for you to pull in your, your future endeavors. All right. I appreciate it. And uh, Thanks, we're, we're almost at the top of the hour here. So I do need to, to, to stop it. I appreciate your time. I could talk to you for a, for a few you. more hours and really learn from you. And uh, I enjoy I the, that, the, the time that you've given uh, to me. Um, so uh, thank you for being on the show and hang out for a few seconds after we end Absolutely. the podcast and uh, see everybody. All right. all right. Thank you. The investors and entrepreneurs professional mastermind. The Investors and Entrepreneurial Professional Mastermind combines the traditional peer-to-peer -peer mastermind introduced first in Napoleon Hill's famous book, Think and Grow Rich, with accountability partnering where your peers help you ensure that you set goals, take actions, and get results. If you want to scale, blow past roadblocks, and achieve success faster than you might think is possible, I suggest you take a visit over to TIEPM.com. That's T-I-E-P-M pm.com and check out the investors and entrepreneurs professional mastermind.